tinfoil hat. Oh, what the fuck are you guys even talking about? Global controls will have to be imposed. And a world-governing body will be created to enforce them. Welcome to tinfoil hat. We, we, we go deep, homeboy. Aaron, open your mind. Drink from the fountain of knowledge. There's lizard people everywhere. That's some interdimensional shit. Wake up, Aaron. This is only the beginning. Dude, you just blew my mind. Good morning, Swarm, and welcome to a bonus episode of Tinfall Hat. You know who I am. You know what I'm here to do. I'm here to... Yeah, join me as always, Xavier Guerrero and Jay Nice, Johnny Woodard. How are you guys? Doing great. Okay, okay. Guys, if you want to see any of our... You want to see me live, just go to samtriplee.com. All my dates are there. All of them. I'm going to Alaska, San Diego, Dallas, Oklahoma. Please go to samtriplee.com. If you want to see all my free content, it's all at samtriplee.com, all my videos. Now, if you want some premium content from us, uh, it's all available in one place, rockfin.com, R-O-K-F-I-N.com. All the premium content, $10 for six shows. Six shows. Six shows. That's a lot of shows. Okay. So go check that out real quick. New shirts are up at tinfoilhattshirts.com. Shape shifting Jesus. And I'm almost done with Conspiracy Smoke Show and Good Morning Swarm. I just got that design. So shirts galore. Great way to support the show. Go to tinfoilhattshirts.com. Johnny, anything else? Uh, new Broken Sam will be dropping the weekend. So check that out. Go check that out. Xavier, anything? Uh, we got the new Dodger Tempo hat shirt out. Go get it. Is like, it up? I like that. Is it up? Go yeah. check it out. It's it's a baseball tinfoil hat. I love the shirt very much. And go check it out. And hey man, this is a great conversation. We have we have two gentlemen on to talk about police reform and their their organization called Thick Red Line. Uh, the links for everything on this show, whether it's our guests, uh, their organization, sponsorship, all available below in the description of the episode. Thank you guys so much for tuning in and enjoy the show. All right, and let's get into it. I'm very excited to have uh, both these guests on. I think this is a very important topic. We're going to get into police, law enforcement, and their role in society in terms of what the power structure and what the masses want and that, that kind of relationship. And I think this is a very important uh, conversation. Uh, we have our returning champion here before. He's been on, been on Tim Fall Hat, and we're glad to have him back. Please welcome Howard Lichtman. How are you, Howard? Hey, fantastic, and good to be with you, and good to be with your audience. Always a pleasure, and joining us for the first time, he's a former police officer, and he's a part of this whole organization that they'll give us a little bit of a more understanding bit about. Uh, please welcome Destry Griffiths. How are you, brother? I'm good. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. I'm honored. Well, I'm glad to have you on. Two, 
on as well. Uh, this is a big topic for us. And, uh, you know, when Howard, when you were on before, you were talking about this organization that you're working with called Thick Red Line. And I thought, what a wonderful time to have this kind of conversation about police and their role in enforcing laws, whether they are just or unjust. And uh, with this new variant coming out that everybody's the boogeyman, the Delta variant's coming, and what that means for businesses, schools, and just our, our whole way of living. So thank you very much. I know uh, we know Howard from his last appearances before. Destry, could you tell us a little bit about yourself? Well, I, I'm a, a former police officer. I retired. I, I'm semi-retired now. But I uh, worked as uh, I did 20, 21 year stint. Um, I was a dare officer for 14 years. Um, I was a school resource officer for three years. And uh, I had this crazy old uncle that uh, when I first got into police work, uh, got me kind of looking at uh, uh, the whole grand picture in a different perspective. And so I'm really thankful for him um, kind of being my mentor and kind of uh, leading me to understand even police work. And uh, one of the great books that I read before was The Law by Frederick Bastiat. Um, and that really got me uh, thinking um, and trying to understand uh, what the law was all about and uh, what police work was all about. And so for me, when I got into police work, uh, I, was, I had other uh, relatives, including my brother that was a police officer. And um, luckily, we, I don't feel like that we were heavy-handed. Uh, we were for uh, the service. We got in for the right reasons, I, I do hope, and, and uh, I enjoyed it. There were some things that I didn't like, and there were some things that I did like. But overall, um, I think that I had a pretty good um, career. I made enemies, but I also made friends. More or less, the enemies was sometimes the administration, um, but uh, the friends that I made was the public and uh, the community that, uh, that I served. So I, I feel really good about that. Uh, thank you. Yeah, that's great. And, you know, full disclosure, I had my grandfather, uh, Bedorian, was like head of the Niagara Falls Police Department. I have uh, a cousin who is now a Buffalo police officer. And then I have uh, a cousin who works in corrections in Nebraska. So I have uh, I have people on that side. So, you know, I grew up uh, the, the grandson of a, a police officer, and, and that was very important to me and my family. So as I grew a little older, seeing all the stuff going on, I, you know, I, I very much understand the human side of law enforcement that I think gets lost in a lot of discussion. So when Howard brought up this group, I, I thought it was very important to have a discussion about it because it does involve law enforcement working with law enforcement about what's going on. Howard, can you tell us a little bit about the group and why, uh, why it got started? Yeah, well, first, the, uh, the Thick Red Line project grew out of civil disobedience that we were doing in Santa Cruz, California, with respect to the COVID. And, uh, you know, last year around the April, May timeframe, when things were at, at, you know, kind of their peak of fear and um, what I would say, say is deception, uh, we went into the hospitals in what was being called the epicenter of COVID in California, Santa Clara Medical Center. And we found empty tents, empty waiting rooms. We found um, uh, hospital employees openly speculating that the whole thing was a hoax. I went through the testing process, and when I get in, 
the room with the guy doing the testing, um, that, you know, I take off my mask and I say, hey, I'm an investigative reporter. We're trying to figure out what's going on here. You know, is this really a pandemic? And he said, you know, he looked all guilty and was like looking around like, you know, he'd been caught with his hand in his in the cookie jar and he's, you know, but he, 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 you know, leveled with me. And I said, are you seeing, you know, any more, you know, I said, you know, are you testing a lot of people? He's like, no, nobody's coming in really to get tested. And I, you know, I said, are you uh, seeing any, anything like pandemic conditions? He says, no, there's not really, you know, a pandemic going on. And, and I said, are you guys seeing any more death or disease than, you know, the usual and customary elderly deaths or, you know, seasonal pneumonias or, you know, whatever. And he's like, no, we're not. And then it just, we just realized it was completely, completely, you know, a fake. And it was the, the degree of the fakeness and the epicenter of COVID in the California was, was just truly like amazing. It just, it struck me right there that this thing was, was, was fake. We went into another hospital, uh, Dominican hospital in Santa Cruz, empty tents, empty waiting rooms, tents flapping in the wind. We shot videos of both of these. In the case of uh, uh, Dominican Hospital, they took the tents down the next day after our video went viral in the community. And so we began, you know, organizing kind of peaceful, simple disobedience to try and reopen these restaurants, reopen these local businesses that were bankrupting independent wealth and independent people. You know, like I think this was kind of economic warfare on the people by the, you know, organized crime government. And so uh, we would do peaceful civil disobedience. We'd reopen beaches. They were trying to close the beaches. We'd reopen the parks. The police would come out and they'd say, hey, you know, you guys got to get off this beach. And we'd say, well, we're not going to leave this beach. You know, you don't own the beach. The, you know, there's no time in history where the government got ownership of the beach. And so they'd say, hey, you know, we don't, you know, I understand we like going to the beach. We don't want to be doing this, but what are we supposed to do? And I realized, and because I have friends that are police officers, I realized that these guys were really between a rock and a hard place. And so, you know, I kind of did the math in my head. I had a little bit of epiphany. And I said, the strongest card in your hand is to say no collectively, to collectively say no to these these tyrannical orders or they're going to, you know, you know, just crank it up and ratchet it up. And pretty soon you're going to be doing some Nazi Germany level stuff. And I know you guys don't want to do that. And you can see that they were thinking about that, that they liked the idea. And so we tried it out with some other, you know, law enforcement people and, and it, let's say focus group well. So we built a website. Uh, and we call it the we call it the thick red line project. The police have the thin blue line. And we're saying that uh, that's important, but what's more important is that they draw a thick red line in the sand and say we're not going to use violence on peaceful people for politicians. So we're uniting uh, the police and the people against the politicians. It's not the police that are passing these laws and trying to lock down you know independent businesses. And so the thick red line is the, you know, what is the, uh, what is the denominator? What is the litmus test of is a law, you know, just? And so you obviously can't use politician law. If you use politician law, then you get sundowner laws, you get slave laws, and you get Jim Crow laws, and you get Nazi Germany. And so uh, you can't use politician law. And so what we do is we're educating the police on something called natural law that has a thousand-year history across multiple different civilizations. It's essentially a codification of the golden rule 
uh, you know, do unto others as you would have others do unto you. And the idea is in natural law, there are five main transgressions. There's murder, there's robbery, there's theft, there's trespass, and there is uh, extortion and coercion. And these are all obviously wrong because there is a victim. And so those are, because they're wrong, the, many people don't realize that when you hear people say, I have a right to this, or I have a right to own a gun, or I have a right to something else, that also comes out comes from the natural law tradition. And in the natural law tradition, a right is anything that's not a wrong. And so if you're not harming somebody else, then you have a right to be left alone by the government. And so what we're saying is, if there's not a victim, it's not really a crime. The government can't be a victim. Society can't be a victim. You've got to have somebody that's saying, this guy wronged me. He stole my stuff, he raped me, he murdered my friend, whatever it is, there's got to be a real natural law transgression for the police to act. And so what we do is we, you know, we explain, the, you know, that this is the litmus test police officers ought to be using. And then we organize community support for them to say no. And so it's the police doing it collectively, collectively refusing to enforce any crime that doesn't have a victim and they're supported by the community. We think that's a checkmate against the politicians. It ends the lockdowns, it ends the mask mandates, it ends the red flag laws, it ends the war on drugs, which is a war on some people, you know, that choose to use intoxicants that aren't approved by the government. It would save the taxpayers millions of dollars, it would keep people out of for-profit prisons. There's so many good things that would come out of it. Uh, that's what we're all about. Guys, I want to tell you about our friends at Blue Chew. It's an American company for American men, American boners, for American ladies, or if you're into dudes, American dudes too, okay? Blue Chew is unique online service that delivers the same active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis, but in a chewable form at a fraction of the cost, okay? Blue Chew is an online prescription service. No visits to the doctor's office, no awkward conversations, no waiting in line at the pharmacy. That's right. Ship right to your door in a discreet package unless you're like me and you want bright colors so everybody knows you're about to go to pound town, okay? The, <laughs> the process is simple. Sign up at bluechew.com, consult with one of their licensed medical providers, and once you get approved, you'll receive your prescription within days. The best part, it's all done online, okay? Blue Chew tablets are made in the USA. They're prepared and shipped directly, so it's cheaper than the pharmacy. So this is what I need you guys to do. Go to bluechew.com. Dot com and get your first shipment free when you use the promo code TIMFOIL. Just pay $5 shipping. That's blue com promo code TIMFOIL. Enjoy hammer time. Uh, I, I, I think that's well put. And I appreciate the, uh, the whole sentiment. You know, there, you know, famous memes have gone around where they're like, you know, just because something's illegal doesn't make it wrong. And just because something's uh, legal doesn't make it right. And that is where we're at. You know, victimless laws is, is like a wonderful point. The, the, to me, there are laws that are on the books that are there to punish the poor and the middle class. And that we see in the you know the elites do it all the time a great example prostitution right you know prostitution's illegal sugar dating is so perfectly acceptable that you actually see billboards for it 
on sunset. Be a sugar dater. Date, you know, and, and why? Because those tend to be rich girls, elite girls from the elite family that just want to make a quick buck dating rich men. And then the street hookers tend to be from middle class or even lower class. And then again, the military industrial complex. So I want to ask you something, Destiny. What is, what from a, a gentleman who was a police officer, you know, you know, ever since 2016, we've had nothing but discussions on police police brutality all this stuff what is the mindset of a police officer what is what do you think that the average person doesn't understand about law enforcement and being a police officer well if you don't mind i'd, I'd like to kind of uh i'd like to answer that question but to go back even when 9 11 happened one thing that i know that we were known as peace officers back then. And as soon as 9-11 happened, what ended up happened was is a lot of draconian measures started to come about. And then we, we ch actually changed our name to law enforcement officers. And I, I think that there's definitely something to words. Words have meanings. And so from that perspective, from that point on, we became law enforcement officers. And so to kind of go back to your, your question, I think that right now um, – I feel like that maybe uh, police right now, I mean, I, I've actually got a brother-in-law and a nephew that's also in law enforcement right now currently. My, my, other bro my brother, he retired, but, but they, they're, they're really, um, they feel uh, a little uh, down in the sense of they feel like that uh, people don't understand what's going on. Um, they feel deme uh, demeaned in some aspects. But in the same sense, you know, I was talking to my, uh, my brother-in-law, he's a detective, and he was like, um, somebody called in the sheriff's department and was asking if they were going to enforce the, you know, Biden's gun laws. And he actually uh, took the call and called the gentleman back, and he says, we're not going to do that. And so in southern Utah, we're, we're very fortunate because it seems like that um, uh, our, our police officers and even our, our politicians are kind of not, I should say elected officials, are not really gung-ho. We've actually uh, kind of pushed back even on the uh, Governor Cox's uh, mandates. Um, but I, as police officers, I think that they really are, are fearful in the sense that they don't know if people uh, uh, really uh, want them around or whatnot. But I also think that to go back on the thick red line, you know, as a police officer, I, you know, that thin blue line kind of gives carte blanche to police officers saying, hey, you're, you're a hero no matter what, you know, and there's no accountability. And, of course, you've got the Black Lives Matter on the other extreme, which I believe the Black Lives Matter, I think there's a broader agenda even on that to possibly even nationalize the police. And um, then, you know, the th uh, we've got the thick red line, and I really enjoy it, and I really appreciate it because – as I, was a, as I was trained by one of my trainers, one of the things that he said was, if there's no victim, there's no crime. And that always stuck with me because, again, you know, um, uh, uh, as Howard was saying, you know, if, if there's no victim, you know, we don't want victimless crimes. And so at that point, it really started to make me question, you know, even, even uh, drug laws. Um, and uh, is, is there something more even there? Um, but yeah, I, I think that uh, police feel um, that we don't have their backs, but I, I feel like that we want to make sure that I, I think the media also has hyped a lot of the police brutality. 
Another thing that we're seeing is, is that, you know, they're saying there's systematic racism. And, you know, I, I didn't see that, you know, as a police officer, but I do believe that Howard's right. I think that that's more or less coming down from politician law. And uh, as police officers, we're order followers, and it's hard for us to be able to say no. I mean, what Howard is saying is correct, but it is really hard for us because we have, we have bills to pay, we have families to feed, and, um, and it's, it's a job, you know, to a certain degree. So it's hard for them to, to say no because they've got to pay bills. I totally agree with that. You see that happening a lot. I mean, even in Hollywood, there's this kind of like, you know, follow the leader mentality because jobs are on the line. It's very hard to get work in Hollywood if you don't play by their rules, the powers that be, the elites. And, you know, it's all ends up being the same people, whether it's the politicians or the heads of studios or the heads of banks, they all end up, you know, working for the same people and, you know, enforcing the same laws. Now, there are rules that come out, you know, with this COVID stuff. And, you know, we've seen video after video after video of, you know, people enforcing COVID restrictions. And these are mandates that aren't actually laws. There's no voting on them. There's, there's a governor that has been given these ridiculous powers and he makes these rules that make no sense to anybody. And then there's the, the enforcing of it. As you watch that, and I don't know what went through with Utah and stuff like that. I think that's where you're out of. But as you saw that on a general, um, a, a, you know, a national level, like, what do you think is the mindset of the officers when they're having to do this, when they're having to go to a coffee shop and be like, you guys got shut down because you guys have six people within three feet of each other. And when, you know, when we're talking about like what we, what cops and why we should respect them because nobody calls the cops when something good is happening, unless it's a bachelorette party, right? That seems to be the only time cops are called in for fun. But outside of that, nobody's really calling the cops when it's a good time. Okay. So the notion that police are being called to shut down a coffee shop because maybe there's a limit on eight people and there's 10 and they're having to enforce these. And sometimes it seems like it gets a little out of control. As a police officer, what is your thoughts on that? And what do you think is going through the minds of those police officers? Well, I think that there's a couple of things. First of all, you've got personalities. Some personalities uh, are a little bit more heavy handed and they, they don't, they don't <laughs> think about uh, it's the law. So therefore, so I'm going to enforce the law. So you've got that personality, but I also think that it goes back to, you know, if, if you believe in it, um, you know, if you, the, you know, the communist manifesto basically talked about how they were going to uh, slowly um, take, uh, you know, slowly, even within our school system, change uh, the perception and change the whole dynamic and our thinking process. And, and it seems like that, that liberty now, anybody that talks about liberty and property rights, they're cuckoos, you know, they're, they're kooks. And, and it's almost driven out of the mind that anybody that talks about constitutional rights or anything like that are actually in the wrong. And yet the, go who, the government is right. You know, it seems like 
it's the state versus the individual. It's not the Republicans versus Democrats. It's, it's, it's the collectivist versus the, the individual. And I think that that's one thing that you're seeing. And so I think that you have a number of personalities. Plus, when, um, as, as I was about ready to retire, one thing that uh, our chief wanted to do is he wanted, to, he wanted more officers with college education. They wanted degrees. And I, I understand there's good in that, but, but, but sometimes you can train. They're more like a robot. They don't question what's right or wrong. They just think that everything's fine. And so you've also got these younger officers that, that come from a different generation that are enforcing it as well. So the older officers too, um, you know, the, the, the people that I'm talking to, they're trying to get out. They can't wait to get out. And so you're losing experience plus critical thinkers uh, that are getting out of police work. I mean, from all over the country. And what you're, what you're being replaced with is people that are not thinkers. You know, they think they are because they've, they've got these degrees, but, but uh, they're just order followers. And that's one thing that, like Howard is saying, that worries me is that we could become Nazi Germany because what did Nazi Germany do? They just followed orders. You know, I mean, I, you know, I, mean I hear it often, too, you know, as a police officer, they say, well, I just was following orders. And I'm like, that's just kind of a real weird I, bells go off my in my head thinking that just doesn't sound right you know so I, I think that that's what you're what you're getting to is that we're losing great officers that actually probably understood the constitution at one time to officers that don't understand the constitution that are in it you know and, and again the paycheck so I think there's a lot of a lot to that goes into it a lot of variables Howard do you have any thoughts yeah, yeah, definitely. And so, so you know, when, when Destry is talking about the, you know, the good officers that are, that are, you know, can't wait to retire, can't wait to get out of policing, a lot of times these are the officers that you want. They're the ones that are uncomfortable with, you know, doing the tyranny. And, you know, the Thick Red Line Project is the thing that restores respectability to the police. Everybody loves the police when they're busting murderers, rapists, and robbers. It really is these victimless crimes that are causing the racial and the societal division. That's what's turning every tra traffic stop into a commando operation. That's where you get the militarization. That's where you get the air cats. That's where you get, you know, I've heard, you know, as high estimates of as high as 80,000 SWAT team raids a year, mostly for, you know, uh, you know low-level drug dealing, drug possession, things like that. Uh, we don't need 80,000 SWAT team raids going on in our community, a lot of which hit the wrong house, didn't have the right warrant, you know, injure babies with, you know, flashbang bang grenades thrown into cribs. And so there's all of this, you know, uh, uh, you know, damage and it makes, you know, and there's just absolutely no way to sugarcoat this. It makes the cops the criminals. And so, so there has to be a denominator of what is, right and what is wrong and under natural law if you're you know if you're using violence on people that aren't hurting anybody that makes you karmically the criminal i mean you not you may not be arrested by you know your colleagues but anybody that that understands that karma is always operating at, you know at full scale in the universe 
and you know you're the you know the officers that that are going along with this are ultimately going to have to pay the karmic price here and so uh by going thick red lines saying no to the politicians supported by the community because the community does not want this going on uh we've had people we've you know we've now bought and distributed we at thickredline.org. We have a handbook that explains the basics. We've distributed over 1,500 copies of that. We've got some cards for cops that explain to officers the basics. We've now had people buy and distribute over 20,000 plus copies of those nationally from almost every single state in the United States. And people are getting their own communities organized to build support for their police to say no to the politicians. Uh, I have not read, you know, I really haven't run into anybody yet that wants the police to be, you know, doing these kind of victimless crimes, this victimless crime enforcement. And so if they say no, that boom instantly restores respect for the police. It breaks the backs of the drug cartels. It breaks the backs of the human traffickers. It saves the taxpayers billions. Uh, it focuses the police on real crimes with real victims instead of wasting their time on stuff the community doesn't want them uh, to be doing and you know really like completely aggravating the community that's the reason like you take a look at you know Eric Garner in, in New York City who was choked out and killed for selling Lucy cigarettes on the, on the street corner that's not really a crime choking out trying to put somebody in a cage for selling Lucy cigarettes that's the crime. That is the violation of natural law. That is the thing that led to his death. We've got to stop stuff like that. And then that instantly restores respect to the police. Hey, everybody, I want to tell you about our friends at Lucy Nicotine, okay? Lucy Nicotine is a company founded by Caltech scientists and former smokers looking for a better and cleaner nicotine alternative, okay? Finally, tobacco has an alternative that doesn't suck. All right. Research and developed for three years to be made for people, not patients. Lucy has created nicotine gum with four milligrams of nicotine and comes in these three flavors, wintergreen, cinnamon, and pomegranate. Holla at your boy. Okay. Lucy has lozenges. Okay. With four milligrams of nicotine that include the following flavors, cherry, ice, citrus, and mint. They went hard in the paint on that. Okay. And it's convenient and discreet. Products can be enjoyed anywhere, on a flight, at work, at the gym, on the go. It doesn't matter, okay? So it's 2021. Get rid of your cigarettes, unplug your vape, throw out your dip, okay? And get some Lucy nicotine gum or lozenges, okay? This is the real deal. A subscription to Lucy comes directly to your door each month it's so simple and you don't have to leave your house because lucy has delivery down okay lucy lucy lozenges and gum okay also have fsa and hsa eligible so you'll be able to spend pre-tax dollars on them okay this is for the tfh swarm okay go to lucy.co co okay l-u-c-y dot co and use the promo code Tin foil to get 20% off all products on your first order, including gum or lozenges. Okay, this is Lucy.co. Use the promo code tinfoil at checkout. Okay, I also have to give this disclaimer warning these products contain nicotine derived from tobacco. Nicotine is addictive chemical. Okay, Lucy.co, and be sure to use the promo code tinfoil.
I completely agree. You know, when that when that case came out, and I, and I, it is of my humble belief that they have videotapes of all of these crimes, and they pick and choose which one they release so that there's enough for both sides to lose it. You have cops obviously using what is believed to be too much an uh, unnecessarily violence and force and then you have on the other side a gentleman with a criminal record possibly having a gun on them when they are not supposed to and there's enough for both sides there's enough ammunition for both sides so they could argue about it all the time now Mm -hmm. if we actually take a look at the people who are into defunding the police there's all this discussion on that well a lot of people that are leading the charge on defunding the police are in fact live behind gated communities if you have like the the city council in minneapolis who voted to defund the police well they quietly voted to up the 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 budget for their personal security okay then we have the people who in washington dc complaining about law enforcement wanted to defund the police all why crying about something that went down on january 6 i mean it's the hypocrisy of the situation you know it's rules for thee and not for me they don't they don't want the cost to be funded except when it comes to protecting them and their asses that's when they want it and that's ridiculous and i also believe and i'd love to hear your thoughts on this destry your thoughts on the militarization of police we're we're seeing this kind of uh, all this military equipment the training where we're now hearing that you know israel israel and uh, Mossad are coming to train officers in the United States, police officers. What is your whole thoughts on that? Well, if, can I go back just real quick on, on, on the natural law kind of? Um, you could talk about anything you want, man. Okay, thank you. Um, in police work, we do have the, um, it's the use of force continuum. And the use of force continuum goes from, you know, different levels. And the first level is just mere presence. And then it goes from there as, you know, verbal communication. And then it goes for impact weapons. And then it goes to, to tasers. And then it goes to, to deadly force. So whenever we make a law, the legislatures or whoever, well, the, it's the legislatures that are supposed to make the law. But when the legislatures make the law, they've got to realize the outcome could be death for this law. And so that's what we've got to, we've got also got to educate the, uh, the legislatures and saying, listen, if you're going to pass this law, you're going to put not only the officer in jeopardy, but you're going to put the citizen in jeopardy. So is this a law that we want to, we want to uh, pass to, to put everybody in jeopardy? And so that's why the victimless crimes, I think, is so critical for us to, to uh, reassess and to think about over that because people are people are getting killed for that i would like to know you know um the statistics on you know how many officers have been killed um actually enforcing um victimless crimes um you know and i I don't know if there if we could find a statistic on that but it would be really interesting to do that now as far as the militarization of the police departments um in theory it sounds great the reason why i say that is because one of the other things that's pushed, uh, there's a, a, a good training the officers go to. Um, it's, uh, I think it's called officers, officers, 
officer safety. And when you go there, holy cow, that they just tell you about all these stories, the officers being killed and how they're being killed. And, and man, you come out of there and you think that every citizen is, is everybody's be, you know, hiding behind the tree and they're going to kill you, you know? And that's one thing that they, they put a lot of fear in you. And I'm not saying that it's bad training, but I'm also saying that it does put a lot of fear in you. And so when you come back from there, all of a sudden, you know, uh, we've been offered all of this federal grants or federal money or these federal tools to do our job better. It sounds good. You know, um, I think 10th Amendment Center, they, they, uh, they had an article that was pretty interesting. And they just basically said, you know, the first couple of paragraphs, they were saying that, you know, it's not, it's not a matter of does it sound good or is it, is it liberty minded or, you know, or do you like the, the elected official that's doing it? The first question you should ask is, is it constitutional? And one thing that I feel like is that the money that the federal money and the federal grants that are going to these cities, uh, to states, um, what, what you're seeing is, is actually, um, I think, a runaround uh, the Constitution. I think that it's, um, this, I think it's a runaround on the separation of powers. Um, I think it's very corrupting. I mean, even as a police officer, we weren't able to take gratuities. Well, why can't you take gratuities? Because it has a corrupting influence on you. And then when you, when you take a gratuity, you basically are tied to that one individual, that business or whatever. And you will, you basically become in kind of uh, partial to that person. And so when we take federal money, I think that, again, it's, it's going over, uh, going around the separation of powers and it's a corrupting influence. And, and we don't get it. We don't see that. And uh, it's just like, well, hey, it's money and, and uh, it's okay. And, and that federal dollar is actually, I think, corrupting us and, and militarizing us and getting us into that. And, you know, I, I had an opportunity to be a SWAT officer or a school resource officer. And, you know, I wanted to be a SWAT officer, but I decided that the school resource officer was probably the best choice. And I'm thankful I made that choice, but it has a different mindset. You know, when you go through that SWAT training and, and, uh, and you get all that equipment, you, you really are more in the line of the, the you know, they are the bad guys all the time. And uh, I just think that another thing we need to come back to is we need to come back to the, the police officers are public servants. And I think that sometimes people don't like to hear servants because then at that point you feel like that, uh, you know, you're, you're downgrading that person. But that's one thing that I feel like that all government officials should realize is they are public servants to us and including police officers. And it's an honor to serve the community. It's not a bad thing to be called a uh, public servant. Um, so I, I, yeah, I, I'm, I'm definitely worried about the militarization of the police. I, uh, I, I couldn't agree more. The more you militarize the police, there's a saying in recovery and it's basically like to people who like try to get sober and then they go to bars and it's like, if you hang out in a, um, a hair salon long enough, you're going to get a haircut, right? So it's the same thing. If you have all this military militarized weaponry, you're going to eventually want to use it. I mean, it's just the way it is. I mean, eventually it's going to be used, and that's kind of what I'm nervous about. And, uh, you know, and I've seen stories on it. John Oliver, back when I liked him, did a great story about how these, you know, these small law 
law enforcement companies are getting all this militarized weapons, but they don't know, how, they're not trained in how to use them. So now you have just kind of guys with with these giant weapons with no real training in it trying to use them, and it kind of just gets out of control. And it's eventually going to lead to some kind of chaos right there. Howard, do you have any thoughts? Uh, do I ever. And by the way, we've got that episode of John Oliver on the civil asset forfeiture. I think that's the civil asset forfeiture uh, episode. And we've got that at thickredline.org. Uh, and it's hysterical and scary at the same time. But what, what uh, this police militarization, you know, um, I think that, first of all, Washington, D.C. is out of control. Uh, you know, we've got we're supposed to have a constitution that limits the federal government to Article One, Section Eight, and you know, the, in Article One, Section Eight says the federal government can do these specific things. And then, if we didn't specifically enumerate it in Article One, Section Eight, then the federal government can't be doing it. Um, now, the federal government is doing everything from handing trillions of dollars to private banks, private companies through, you know, uh, through these. Uh, 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 bailouts and stimulus to handing trillions of dollars to a military industrial complex company for wars that we don't need to be fighting based on lies and manufactured intelligence. I'm talking about Kuwaiti babies tossed out of incubators, the Gulf of Tonkin incident, uh, you know, uh, uh, weapons of mass destruction in Iraq, uh, Lib Libyan troops, you know, uh, raping people on Viagra. All of these things have been uh, the Downing Street memo have been proven to be, you know, lies to get us into these wars where now all of a sudden, you know, you see the government handing $14,000 for a toilet seat and $400,000 for F-35 helmet and they've been caught, you know, in the Bishop's Fund and they've been caught in the Fat Leonard scandal and they've been caught in all of these different things and there's just money kind of flying out the door. And so if you've got an organized crime government that's robbing people, and now you see them begin to militarize the police, now all of a sudden the police are the standing army that the quote-unquote founders warned us about. I say quote-unquote because I'm a voluntarist myself. I don't believe the government is legitimate, desirable, or necessary. I think everything the government does would better be done by uh, the free market, by mutual aid societies, by uh, you know, real, real charity. And so what it looks like to me is we've got a, an organized crime government that is now arming up the police with surplus military weapons to, you know, uh, and having them lock down the population, bankrupt independent wealth on the, you know, on what, you know, appears to be lies about a pandemic that isn't really a pandemic. I'm not saying people aren't dying of some stuff. People die all the, all the time. But, you know, there's a 999 6% recovery rate based on the government's own numbers for the quote-unquote COVID. And so, you know, are we really, really, you know, is that really why we're seeing, you know, businesses being locked down or are we seeing the greatest transfer of wealth in human history, you know, as they're bankrupting independent businesses, independent coffee shops, independent restaurants, independent hotels, where, you know, at the expense of the chains and Amazons and the Walmarts and, you know, is there something going on here? It looks to me like there's something else going on here and the police are being militarized to maybe put this down once society figures out who has robbed the bank. Uh, and so, uh, so, you know, if the police don't want to go along with it, 
then what is the strongest card in their hand? They've got to say no, and they've got to do it collectively. And if they're supported by the community, there's nothing the politicians can do to stop them. And so that's what you know we're all about. We're trying to give the police a way out so they can say no, so it doesn't turn in Nazi Germany. I, I think that's a wonderful statement. I totally agree. We are the power. The masses are the power. You could look at any other country that's been through chaos, turmoil, political upheaval. It always starts the same way. Power gets condensed at the top. They start just basically get law enforcement to crack skulls. And it gets so bad that the people revolt and there's so many more people than politicians and law enforcement that the people eventually uh, win. And then the cycle starts all over again, right? And what yeah. I like about your organization is like, I would like to nip that at the bud. I would like yeah. to get to a point where we could go to the law enforcement going, we're enforcing laws, Okay that are punishing your brothers, your sisters, your mothers, your fathers, yeah. your, your nieces, your nephews, for politicians that in reality don't care about you and they don't care about the masses. And you are more connected to the masses than you are to these politicians. And, you know, it's like if you look at what the international banking cabal has done to our military, it's like they've turned them into stormtroopers for the international banking cabal. It's just sad. And I don't want to see that with law enforcement because the truth of the matter is they are part of the committee. The community, excuse me. They're part of the community. And the truth of the matter is most of the people handing down the laws don't live in the community that these officers have to enforce. And they're being forced to do stuff to their neighbors that I know they really don't want to, but somehow they've been convinced that this is what's right in the eye of the law. And it's just, and it's just not. What is justice, right? I mean... Uh, how would they handle the victimless crime? Like, you know, here in LA, there's so many homeless people. And like, uh, the, when they say defund the police, they want to throw in a psychologist. Would that be like kind of the solution? Or I mean, as someone that's been there, that sounds dumb, I know, but that's what they want. And that's what I'm asking. How do you do a victimless crime with all the homeless people here? How do you handle that situation? Well, victimless crime and homeless don't really, aren't really the same thing. Yeah, but they're, the ones, they're the ones causing those crimes. Like the other day, some, some lady stole a water bottle, and then you got 20 cops attacking her when people are just complaining she's just – something's wrong with her head. So how would you deal with that whole situation without go, going in there guns loaded? So a lot of times the police are acting without people actually calling the police for the water bottle. And so – you know, in, in, uh, in a lot of cases, the community needs to say, hey, we're not going to call the police. And there is, uh, there's actually, uh, there's a program, and I forget the name of it, that intercedes before uh, the police get involved. And they say essentially, or before the, before the, I shouldn't say the police get involved, before the criminal justice system gets involved. And you're able to, like, let's say a teenager has, you know, stolen a water bottle from me. And now that the, the teen has been caught up in the police, the person can say, hey, I don't want this to go through the government's court system. I just want the kid to pay me back for the water bottle. And if he pays me back for the water bottle, then we'll just, you know, keep it out of the court system. The kid doesn't get a record and we're going to have uh, restitution instead of retribution. 
And I really think that the goal of the, of the, of, of, you know, of, of, uh, you know, being a peace officer should be to see that the victims get restitution, not that society gets retribution on somebody who may be a little crazy in the head, maybe on psychedelic, you know, drugs, things like that. Um, I also, but I really wanted to follow up on something that Sam said with respect that, you know, that, you know, like I said, I've got friends that are, that are, um, uh, that are, that are police officers. And I used to live in Northern Virginia and kind of the tech quarter outside of Washington, DC. I'm a you know, tech guy. And there was a, uh, uh, you know, two years ago, the legislature was trying to pass an assault weapon ban in Virginia and 22,000 armed Virginians showed up on the steps of the state house in Richmond, Virginia, armed to the teeth. And some of them were carrying Barrett 50 caliber Barrett rifles. Some of them, like more than half of them were jocked up like special forces, high speed operators. And like, I don't want to get to the point where the government pushes on the population, you know, a little bit too much. And then the population just wipes out the police in about two seconds flat, because that's going to be the reality of the situation. Uh, they're driving around in, in marked cars and uniforms. And like the, like, like the population has been very, very, you know, accommodating so far, but you can only push the population so far. So we've got to give the police a way out where they have a way out with honor and so, hey, we'll keep paying your salaries. Just quit doing the things that that the community doesn't want you to do. Focus on real crimes with real victims. That's the key. Yeah, that's the key. It's like you you are enforcing laws for a corrupt group. You will still get your. I think there's this notion that, and I understand it's very scary to put your your livelihood on the line. It's a lot to ask people. It's yeah, a yeah. lot because yeah. you don't know if there's going to be another paycheck down the line. But the truth of the matter is, is that the law, the people that are asking you to enforce awful laws, okay, if we remove them, you still are going to get paid. I think that's very important that we as a society tell our law enforcement, we need you. We're going to pay you. We just have to stop enforcing these laws. Look at California. Our governor passed these ridiculous mandates that he didn't even follow. He didn't yeah. even follow his own mandates. And then he's asking for our law enforcement to go kick in some yoga studio and, to, and, uh, and write citations. And who knows who's inside that, what they're about to go. You know, they're going to kick in the door. Who knows inside, who's inside there? And it's like you're putting them in bad situations. So I think as a society, we have to go, we're going to ask our law enforcement to step down. We have to inform them that they're going to be taken care of. Because yeah. the truth of the matter to me is that, you know, law enforcement, a lot of people get into law enforcement because it pays and there's a retirement package at the end. But if things keep going the way they're going, that retirement package is never going to be there, man. It's all yeah. going to crash and burn. And you're going to be working to the end of days just like the rest of everybody because the, the, the whole system has crashed on itself because it's ran by people trying to crash it.
So uh, we as a society have to sit together and, and tell our brothers and sisters in law enforcement that we're going to take care of you. We just have to get rid of these bad people. We have no problems with you. We have problems with treasonous bastards who have sold their souls to people who don't even live in this country, in my humble opinion. Yeah, I also wanted to throw something else in because I wanted to agree with Destry about Black Lives Matter and the defund the police movement. I really do think that that's meant to be dis- uh, divisive. It could be... A 100%. Yeah, like some kind of federal law enforcement. And so uh, I sympathize with the black community, uh, but let's not hack at the, at the branches of evil. Let's strike the root the problem, you know, isn't the police. The problem is the police are being asked and forced by politicians to use violence against peaceful people for things that aren't really crimes. If we get rid of that, then that solves the problem of them turning every traffic stop into a commando operation and searching your car, looking for a asset forfeiture payday and all the other, like almost everything is all tied to these victimless crimes. That's what's causing the societal division. That's what's causing the racial division. We get rid of that. Keep your jobs. And now ultimately, I think, I think police needs to be privatized. Like I said, I don't believe in that we need to have government. I think that, you know, that, it, that everything the government does could be, you know, I, I want to see police officers get a raise. I want to see them get rewarded. I want to see there to be competition where, you know, that, that they're having to compete with Brinks and ADT and it's going to make them better organizations and better people because, you know, who protects the neighborhood better? Is it ADT? Is it the, is it the you know, the existing police department? Is it Brinks? Is it, you know, ADT? Um, you know, like I think the, that competition would bring, uh, but would bring, you know, uh, uh, better results um, and you wouldn't have uh, retribution. You'd have, you know, you'd have restitution because I don't want my police department focused. I don't know anybody that wants their police department focused on, on uh, retribution instead of restitution. People want their money back. People want their stuff back, you know. Um, and so, you know, I, you know, uh, keep your keep your job. You know, you keep your salary as you know as we have this transition. But you gotta quit doing the things that are causing the societal and racial division, and you gotta quit bankrupting these uh, these uh, these small businesses just because politicians told you to. That's true. Well, I was just gonna say another thing that I've noticed too that a trend was is when I first got into police work, uh, you know, it, we we actually had our discretion, and we were given that discretion, and then all of a sudden one day. Out of the blue, it uh, instead of saying can do, it changed in shall do, and it was a weird it was a weird thing that happened, and we didn't have any choice. And so one day it was can, and then the next day it was shall. And so the older officers that knew that you know can do were like, hey, this is this doesn't feel right. You know, I should be able to have my discretion. But the new officers that came in after that date that uh, shall do. They didn't know that they even had a choice. And so our, the discretion w- has been taken away from police officers slowly without even knowing that this new generation of officers don't even know that there was a discretion at one time to, uh, to enforce certain things. Now, all of a sudden, it's like, you shall do this. So that's, that's a big concern, too. And that's just a training, whether it's on purpose or planned, I, I don't know. But it is scary. 
And another thing to go back on um, what you were talking about on purging of the military. Uh, I do believe that the purging of uh, uh, police officers are, are happening because it seems like that most, uh, a lot of police chiefs and sheriffs probably don't like officers questioning their authority themselves. And that's unfortunate because I think that when, when questions are asked, we all learn by um, think, doing some critical thinking and working the problem and trying to come up with solutions from that question. And so I, I see that a lot of times people in authority don't like to be questioned. That's another concern that I, I do see from, from the officers. And when I, first, when I was getting out of police work, well, just before, we, we were uh, transitioning from one police chief to another police chief. And one thing that the old police chief said in a, in a department meeting was, he says, and he was, I think he couldn't wait to get out in that regard, but he says, wait until you see what the FBI is re requiring of us as local departments, what we have to do. to." So the FBI and the, the feds were mandating local departments to do certain things that most people don't realize that, uh, that are happening. And so I think that's why in reality too, is we want to make sure that we keep our police departments local. Um, we want to be able to have that opportunity to be able to go into the, with the sheriff's, with the sheriff, you know, you can go in directly. And, and it seemed like that even from the sheriff's department to police departments, they were run a little bit different. It seemed like that, you know, I was, uh, I, I, being a police officer, we kind of ran a tighter ship and uh, some of the officers were proud of that. And then, you know, they kind of looked down upon the sheriff's, uh, sheriff's department because they didn't, they didn't really run roughshod on people that much. The reason being is because um, the sheriff is tied directly to an election, whereas a police chief is not tied directly to the people or election. There's a layer of bureaucracy that, that protects them in the sense of uh, the city council and the mayor. And so the, the chiefs aren't really tied to the people. They're tied to bureaucrats. And that's, that is a concern with that, whereas, whereas sheriffs are tied directly to the people and, and, they, and the sheriffs really do need to listen if they're going to be reelected. And most sheriffs, uh, you know, politicians are always concerned, good or bad, about being reelected. And so that's also another concern that you've got in police work that, that needs to be, uh, you have a microscope. And we need to understand some of the problems that um, are coming out of the, those issues, the direct election versus non-election for police chiefs. Real quick, sorry, I was muted there. I wanted to ask something. You know, when you become a police officer, do you have to take a psychological uh, uh, evaluation? Yes. And is there any thoughts that, that whether, it, I, I don't know when you started being a police officer, but maybe the requirements changed. And is it possible that they look for somebody who will, one, listen, but two, isn't afraid to mix it up and, and, and you know, go and kick in the doors, blazing four fours if, if they need them to be? I'm, I'm sure in the military they have a, the science down where, like, oh, this guy would be a great, you know, uh, 
a great soldier for for special forces because his propensity for violence or whatever it may be. Do you think that happens in law enforcement? Yeah. I mean, you know, everything's changed. And I think it's become more uh, progressive in that regards. I mean, uh, we it seems like in our society, we want government to solve our problems when in reality, it's so much better if we have individuals to individuals solve the problems. But but it has changed. I mean, the psychological evaluations are are changing. Um, I, I would assume um, like everything else. I mean, I don't need I don't have proof, but I, could, I need to look into that. That's a great question that we need to kind of see what questions they do, do ask. Um, but yeah, everything is evolving and changing, and 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 usually police officers, not all, but usually they have Type A personalities, and uh, and and another thing too is kind of interesting. A friend of mine pointed out that um, you know again they used to they used to want veterans from police uh, from the military to be in police work, and uh, now again they're st- they're kind of clearing staying away from veterans and and again going to those people that have degrees they are coming from um the schools that have no life experiences that are just thrown into police work and and they're kind of more i I would say a line of order followers they've been raised in a generation of government is the solution rather than than the individual is the solution um so i think that again you have so many variables that are um coming and crossing into, you know, into one point or one targeted area. Uh, I have a question. As we wrap this up, we're coming to the end. What are some steps that the thick red line wants to take to help police reform? Are there certain uh, topics or points that are very important to your mission that you guys would like to discuss right now? So, maybe we can all try to kind of rally behind you guys and help you guys out. Is there certain like different goals or steps you guys want to take? Before he takes that, um, what do you guys think about the whole uh, entire police riot team that quit together as a group? Oh, Did we're you- in Buffalo. No, in Portland. You didn't hear about that? No. Oh, oh no, no, no. I know there was one where uh, a bunch of uh, one whole department stepped down because a cop got uh, indicted. Yeah. Indicted. Yeah. yeah. And I was reprimanded. One- is that kind of like we what you guys are trying to do? Group everyone together that way it makes us, it makes an impact. Uh, yeah, without a doubt. So uh, so right now, police officers if they say no individually, they get fired. As was the case of the Washington uh, police officer. Um, I'm having a, a brain lock on his name, but I like the guy that did the the video from the squad car. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, and so what we're saying is, is if you don't want to go along with it, then don't do it individually, get your buddies together and do it collectively because if dozens or even in some larger departments, hundreds of deputies or officers say no, then there's really nothing that, the that the sheriff or the police chief can do. Now it's much easier if the sheriff goes first and the sheriff leads the way and to Estuary's point, the sheriff is really, you know, I think kind of the linchpin in the sense that he's an elected official. Police chiefs typically work for the, uh, the board of supervisors, the mayor, and the city manager, and they're insulated from, the, you know, from accountability for their decisions because they can't really be fired by the people. 
versus the sheriff, he's got to be reelected. And so he's not going to be as heavy handed as a police chief is going to be. And so what we're doing right now is we're going after the sheriffs that have really already said no, either no to lockdowns, no to mask mandates, no to uh, red flag laws. And we're trying to educate them on the goals of the Thick Red Line Project. And we're trying to get them to say uh, no to the politicians. We're a relatively young organization. We're, we're somewhat underfunded. What people can do, number one, is they can go to thickredline.org and uh, they can uh, take a look at uh, our handbook. They can print it out for free. They can order hard copies of the handbook and our cards for cops. And they can schedule a meeting with their local sheriff or police chief and just, you know, uh, ideally bring other community organizations with you, members of the community, get an in-person meeting and say, hey, flat out, we don't want you to be doing victimless crimes. We want you focused on real crimes, real victims. Um, we have a program to create community ambassadors. Uh, and a community ambassador is somebody that is willing to organize support for a sheriff or a police chief within their own community, get the town council on board, get the elected officials on board. One of the, one of the members of our, uh, of our board of advisors is an elected alderman in the city of Virginia's Vermont. And he says flat out, I don't want our officers focused on victimless crimes. I want them focused on real crimes with real victims. And so just educating your local city council or your, your local elected officials as to all the benefits that the town or the community would receive by going thick red line, the, the savings, you know, we don't need as many prosecutors, we don't need as many, uh, you know, public defenders, we don't have to spend a fortune on jailing people, on apprehension, on, on officer overtime, on, you know, officers we don't need, on, you know, doing things that get the community mad at them. Uh, and is really, you know, probably, per, you know, costing the community more money than it's breaking in, in excessive fines and what, you know, Sheriff Mack, Richard Mack, who sits on our uh, board of advisors calls taxation through citation. We don't want our officers raising revenue on our neighbors. We don't want them robbing our neighbors. And so that's something else that you can do. We're in the middle we're trying to close out. We've got a $20,000 GoFundMe going on. We'd like to get to the Freedom Fest conference where we would exhibit with the Art of Liberty Foundation and kind of a joint thing. So we're trying to raise some money for that. So those are all the things that you can do at thickredline.org. But we are, uh, uh, you know, we're trying to, to uh, get this out in the community. Howard, lean in a little bit because when you get away from your microphone, we can't hear you that well. So one more time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so those are just some of the things that you can do and everything is at, uh, you know, www.thickredline.org. All right. Uh, yeah, Destry, final yeah, thoughts? Just, just to add on that, um, I think one thing we need to do is also – as a community rally around our police officers and tell the elected officials hands off our police officers. We need to, we need to kind of fight back and we need to fight for our police officers to kind of go back into being peace officers, public servants, and to give them the discretion. I think another thing too, is I really like thick red line is that they actually do have zoom calls that you, we can, we can set up with the police officers that are kind of uh, feeling a little uh, isolated um, they can also talk to other officers and see what they're, they're doing and, and trying to get some ideas and share ideas. And so I think that that's a great thing as well. And then I think the last thing is, is 
um, the officer has to educate himself. Um, the process of basically the, the fighting against the cognitive dissonance that we've all, we all have to fight against because we've all been there and we've all have to start to awaken. And it's kind of like the matrix. We have to start taking the red pill and start to open our eyes, even though it hurts. We need to really um, uh, track down the truth. And again, it, it's going to take the officer wanting and having that desire to, uh, to educate themselves. And there's going to be times that that officer is going to feel lonely, but doing the right thing is the best thing for, for all of us. And so those are some of the things that I can see along with what Howard is talking about on going to thickredline.org and, and, and reading and, and printing out that information and hopefully get those um, uh, local ambassadors involved and, uh, and getting, uh, talking to, uh, individual officers and hopefully maybe getting more and more officers on board in their communities. I would love that, man. I would love that. I would love a way to let police officers know that they're not alone if they don't want to enforce ridiculous mandates and to help educate them. And I think thick red line is a big part of that. And I, anything I can do to help because you know, there's places where they don't have a lot of law enforcement. You go talk to them, they're like, no, we want the police around. It gets awful when the police aren't around. And the people that are trying to push this narrative about defunding the police, they all live in gated communities, okay? They all have private security. That's what they have. They want rules for thee and not for me. And that's really what's going on. And it's a nice balance, okay? And we have to learn to balance it. And being a police officer is not a, a black and white job. It is, it's a lot of gray. And again, they don't get called into when everything's awesome. They get called in specifically for some very, very crazy moments. And those moments, uh, you're not going to be able to follow the, any book on how to deal with it. And it's just chaos. And, I, you know, go ride with a cop if you want to find out how bad it could get. Because they can get really bad. They get called into some bad situations. And we have 320 million people in this country, okay? And God knows how many of them are cops. And you're going to take one individual moment in a video and say that's all police officers? It's ridiculous. You're getting mentally, mentally manipulated. And then police officers have to understand that you know, the, the masses aren't, aren't the enemy, you know, and bad drug laws aren't worth, you know, enforcing, man. Because it's like, let's save prison for violent people or people who steal, stuff like that, like on a mass schedule. Let's put these on a mass level. Let's put these bankers into jail and not somebody who's stealing a water bottle because they have no money and they need, like, we need some compassion. It is a Long, long journey, but I'm glad to know you guys are trying to do something and whatever this little show could do, I hope we reach some people and open their minds. And, you know, again, like I always say, I, they say it in recovery all the time, look for the similarities, not the differences, okay? Find what you connect with someone about, and that includes police officers or people who are in rough times and are down and out and just might have to do something to survive. Have an understanding of what they're going through and show a little love and respect. Howard, 
Destry, thank you so much for coming on. It was a real honor to talk to you guys again. And uh, let's have this conversation again in the future. And hopefully uh, we'll open some minds. I appreciate you guys. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Appreciate that. Yeah, thank you. Thanks, Sam. All right, guys. Thank you so much for tuning in. I hope to see you in Alaska. And we'll do it again soon. Take care, Swarm. Have a great weekend. We go deep, homeboy. Open your mind. Drink from the fountain of knowledge. There's lizard people everywhere. That's some interdimensional shit. Wake up, Aaron. This is only the beginning. Dude, you just blew my mind. Tim foil hack. Tim foil hack.